Addiction is a chronic disease. Millions of people worldwide suffer from substance and behavioral addictions. An addict's life is often unmanageable, leaving the addict and his or her family and friends feeling completely powerless over the disease. Without treatment, addiction can result in disability or premature death. You are listening to Making an Addict. My name is DJ Burr, and I'm an addict in long-term recovery. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, now available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I intend to bring you different perspectives about addiction from various sources, including other addicts in recovery, clinicians who treat recovering addicts, and family and friends of addicts to discover what makes an addict. Listener discretion is advised. To learn more about this podcast, check us out at makinganaddict.com or follow me on social media at djburr1022 on Facebook, thedjburr on Instagram, and at djburr1022 on Twitter. This week on Making an Addict, listen as I sit down and talk with one of my best friends in recovery, Randall. Randall was there from the very beginning, from the very moment I walked into the rooms, and he was a big support to me and still is. And so it was an honor for me to be able to sit down and speak to him about his recovery. We've chatted over the years about what it was like for him early in recovery, but I think this conversation really digs deep. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. I do have to say that there is a technical glitch this week, and uh, there is a couple parts where there's some radio frequency interruptions, so please forgive me. Progress, not perfection. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Making an Addict. This is DJ Burr, and I am here today with one of my best friends, Randall. And Randall's going to be talking to me today about what makes an addict. Randall, welcome to the show. Thank you, DJ. I'm glad to be here. Good. I'm glad. So, I'm curious. uh, You and I met in recovery, and you're no longer in recovery. Is that correct? I'm no longer in recovery in terms of a 12-step program. That's correct. Okay. So, but you have some, I imagine that you have some thoughts about what makes an addict. I do, DJ. I, I, first of all, let me say that, um, that, that I have quite a lot of experience in 12-step programs with people that uh, identified as being addicts. And uh, it, even in terms of uh, having sponsors, multiple sponsors over the course of the time I spent in 12-step programs. Uh, and, and though I think I understand what makes an addict, I don't identify with one exactly uh, myself, just, but something very near that. I would say I have, I have unhealthy attachments, uh, and that's my, that's, that's my work. Interesting. Was there a point where you thought that you might be an addict and that's how you got into 12-step? Absolutely. Um, you know, I was happily married, or at least married, uh, for over 20 years. And, and then, um, seemingly out of the blue, to me anyway, my, uh, my, my marriage relationship exploded. And uh, I wasn't uh, emotionally prepared or psychologically prepared for that eventuality. Um, a consequence of, of that is I, uh, I I didn't know what was wrong with me, and that's how I saw it. And in exploring what was wrong with me, um, um, certainly I was drinking heavily uh, when my marriage was was going down the tubes. 
and it's also certainly true that my sexual drive uh, is uh, as different from my ex's sexual drive is as day is from night. So there were a couple of things that made me think I was maybe uh, an alcoholic. I was maybe had a, a sex addiction. And that's what drew me to explore the 12-step programs. Okay. Was that at the suggestion from your ex-wife, from a therapist, from a friend? That's a good question, too. Um, I'll tell you how it really happened was uh, I was, as I said, emotionally distraught um, when my marriage was, was, was in the process of exploding. And um, it was so bad that, you know, I, re I requested anti-anxiety medication. I requested uh, antidepressant medication. I was seeing my therapist multiple times a week, and even that didn't feel like it was enough. And I went to my therapist on one session, I remember, and I said, you know, uh, sir, I don't think I can stand living anymore. It's just too horrible. I can't sleep. I can't sit. I vomit when I eat. I'm drinking too much. I'm at my wit's end. Is there anything else we can do? And my therapist said, well, you know, it's possible to go to an inpatient treatment center. That if you do that, there's a very real chance that huge changes will occur. And I said to my therapist, sign me up. And it was really during that 30-day in-treatment center that I was exposed to 12-step methodology and became interested in pursuing that. You're the only person I know who has said, sign me up to rehab. Oh, God. Well, again, I was... As I explained, I was at my wit's end. Yeah. I really, truly believed I wasn't going to be able to keep living. I was out of control, even with the medications. God. And so I and and I'm you know I'm motivated, and I was willing and did turn over every stone I could think of to try to get help. And so yeah, something as. You know, when my therapist said, I recommend it, I th I've seen great changes occur in people that do this. Why wouldn't I go? Absolutely. I mean, for even for me personally, I had to be in enough pain before I bought into the idea of getting into recovery. And most of my clients, uh, they have to be in enough pain before they even call me. So it's, I definitely hear that you were in a lot of pain. I think that's exactly right. You know, in the in the twelve step uh, philosophy, they talk about needing to hit bottom uh, before recovery really starts. And, and certainly, no question in my mind, I had hit bottom. Okay, so you went to uh, a rehab facility for how long? Uh, Thirty days. Thirty day uh, process there. Uh, did you have to uh, move out, go out of state? Was this in state? So the particular treatment center that my therapist recommended was out of state. Um, so that was, it didn't matter where it was, but yeah, it was out of state. Yeah, but what I'm asking is because it means you have to uproot your life. Oh, yes. Well, so that's an issue, all right. That, that's no small sacrifice to Absolutely not. You know, take 30 days out of, out of your life. Um, certainly there's, there's work responsibilities that have to be dealt with um, and, and family commitments. I have two, you know, two teenage kids. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you hit bottom, DJ, um, I, I, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this knows, I hope, uh, you, have to, you have to 
introduce yourself. It has to be your number one priority. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt about it. Okay. So you got there. How were you feeling when you walked through the doors of the rehab facility? <laughs> well, let me tell you, on the airplane to the facility, I truly believed I was going to get off of that flight and get on the very next flight, turn around and go home. Oh, crap. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was terrified. I said, what have I done? You know, my senses, if you will, were coming back to me. Um, and it was it was it was tough to make those steps from the airplane to the uh, to the little minivan uh, that was waiting for me. But I can tell you, when I got in that minivan, and not only I got in, but two other people that were going to the treatment center from the airport, different flights, but three of us got into the minivan and started sharing our stories. DJ, that was the beginning of a brand new brand new life for me that continued. To get better as the days went by in that treatment center. Yeah, what changed? <laughs> well, it probably didn't hurt that I, I I got some physical space between me and my ex-wife because our, our relationship was extremely unhealthy at that point. Uh, but also, I think probably more important, I was in an environment. Treatment center, where there were very there were people with who were hurting like I was hurting. In other words, I could empathize and relate to many of the patients in that treatment center. And not only that, the staff, the large collection of staff with different skill sets, psychiatrists, massage therapists, regular therapists, all kinds of different approaches to mental health. I found that just fascinating and wonderful and really helpful. It sounds like it was a retreat. You know, when I left, and I even said this to you, DJ, I, 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 I joked. I said, I would get this a, a treatment center visit for 30 days to all my friends if it wasn't so goddamn expensive. <laughs> Truly the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, man. Wow. You know, not everyone gets an opportunity to go to rehab because it is so expensive. So it's great that you had an opportunity to have that experience. And it sounds like it was beneficial. Yes, for me, it was life changing. It was truly miraculous. But certainly, you know, I was I saw that some patients in there, um, the, the treatment, the month spent was worthless for them, for some. So it really depends on the person. There's no guarantees, that's for sure. So the focus is addiction treatment. Was there an assessment where you were told, hey, it sounds like you might be an alcoholic or, hey, it sounds like you might be a sex addict? And did you buy into those labels within that 30 days? Great question. And a a little tricky answer here. So when my therapist uh, recommended or suggested the possibility of going to treatment like that way, um, we, he and my, my therapist and I, we talked strategy. And what I heard my therapist say was, um, these treatment centers sometimes uh, get full and you have to sort of apply to be admitted. They don't just take anybody. And not only that, sometimes there's just no beds available. In other words, there, there, there's no vacancies. So my therapist recommended uh, a certain approach. My therapist recommended I communicate with the uh, in-treatment uh, people 
that I probably had chemical addictions uh, that, that may include alcohol, may include drugs of one type or another. And so uh, I went in, I think, with the, the inpatient staff having that expectation that that's why I was there. Hmm. First thing uh, that happened is, is I got evaluated. The result of the evaluation was, yes, there does appear to be chemical dependency going on. Um, so this will be the primary thing we'll be working on. And there's also depression. Uh, because of you know the marriage and stuff going on, so sort of a two. The diagnosis was two parts, and the the emphasis was put on the chemical dependence. When I read that diagnosis, I objected. I said um, the root of my problem, the primary, is the depression because of my marriage situation. The chemical dependence is a byproduct or a result of the root problem. And I'd like to have the diagnosis switched around so that the emphasis during my stay would be on, on the depression instead of on the chemicals. So that's, that's how I felt. About, that's what happened as I entered. It turned out that the staff was not actually not willing to make the change. And I didn't want to push it too hard because an important suggestion by my therapist before I went, my therapist said, when you go, Keep as open a mind as you possibly can. Don't be afraid to try and test new things. So with that attitude, I didn't push back on, on, on the initial diagnosis uh, beyond mentioning that I thought it was backwards. Okay. So you thought the diagnosis was backwards, but you continued to move through their process at the treatment center. Correct. And was there a point where you accepted that maybe they were right? Well, actually, just the opposite happened. Uh, I was, um, without getting too much into the details of what a 30-day in-treatment center is, um, one of the things it does is put you with like, kind people. So I was in groups uh, for uh, you know, up to four hours a day, small groups of 10 of us uh, that all had, in, in my case, my group, chemical dependency. And what I learned by being with uh, my group was what chemical dependency looks like. Okay. And, uh, it was it was nothing like me. So I, I learned that, that more clearly than ever that they had misdiagnosed me. Interesting. So what about your other concerns that you came in there with? Were those addressed? So let's get to that. You know, yeah. Uh, my concern, or, or what I came to understand, largely by being in the in-treatment center, was that I had a very unhealthy concept of what it meant to be in a relationship, especially a romantic relationship, but relationships of all type. I had, I had, um, well, let me just leave it at that. So that's, that's where the work, that's where the work focused for me. That help? Yeah, that helps. So you learned that there was something that you needed to work on around relationships and did they do that type of work there, or was that something you had to do outside of there? That's a good question. So in my uh, group with the chemical dependency, there was no work done on, on a relationship. It was all about dealing with chemical dependency. But that was only about four hours a day. Okay. There was a lot of day left and a lot of stuff going on in the other parts of the day. And it was during the other parts of the day uh, that I began to get clarity on my issue, my relationship unhealthy behavior and, and, and hints about what to do about it. All right. 
Now, I know from my own experience of as being uh, someone in recovery and as a therapist who works with people in recovery, that one of the most important things to do sometimes is to look at the family of origin. Was that a discussion that came up? Yes. Did you learn anything? Well, so, yes. <clears throat> One thing, so here's my take on that question. Um, my, what I perceived, and frankly, I can't think of an exception, so I'm going to say what I perceived in everyone at the treatment center was that they had unhealthy family of origin issues, unhealthy upbringing in one aspect or another, many of them severely unhealthy in many aspects. I was an outlier, outlier on that point. I was raised in a loving, cohesive, supportive family, the best family someone could dream of. So that was, so I could never relate to the discussions of family of origin problems at all. Quite quite the opposite of that. Oh, well, that's really curious. It is curious. Yeah. So if, if I can go, I'm going to say one more thing that's sure. also curious. I think because of that, because my family of origin was so healthy, they promoted me and supported me so strongly, I have become an adult that has an extremely high self-esteem, an extremely big ego, if you will, and that is a glaring difference between me and people I saw in the treatment center and then later on in the 12-step work I did. That is curious because most often, uh, you know, recovering addicts, almost all of us deal with our ego issues. Absolutely. There's a big theme of unworthiness in 12-step programs, right? And, mm-hmm. and affirmations to kind of try to, try to deal with that. That, that unhealthy self-image. Sure, but yeah. some of us have to deal with the superiority. Well, and, and so this would be my work, right? Okay. I, 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 one might argue I have an unhealthy positive self-image. Hmm. Um, I don't believe it's unhealthy, but, you know, there, there is that issue. Okay. And were, was your family involved at all in the treatment while you were there? Did they come in for, like, family week or anything like that? My family, if, if we talk about my family being uh, my parents and siblings and, and, and whatnot, no. But, but if we talk about my wife and children, yes, my wife uh, came down for family week and supported me to the best ability she could. Okay. All right. And so 30 days went by. You got out. What did you do after? Uh, I, was, I was a changed person, DJ. I was joyful. I wanted to um, make uh, make right make uh, my relationship with my ex uh, fantastic again. I had tons of plans on how to do that. Um, I was gung ho to to have everything be wonderful again and ready to execute. So, so, so to continue. So what did I do specifically? Well, many things. Uh, for example, I started to go to uh, AA meetings. I know that may sound kind of odd, but um, what I've said to you about understanding how, how, how 12-step work isn't for me evolved over many, many months. Right. And, and, and I just learned about 12 steps in the, uh, 
intake center. So as soon as I get home, I'm signed up for, you know, multiple AA meetings. And then I went through the directory and found an SLAA uh, group that meets and, and started going daily to that. I took a codependence test and scored uh, a painfully high, meaning I, it looked like I had, uh, likely I was a codependent. Started going to codependence meetings. I went to a sex uh, essay meeting. What was that? Sex Anonymous meeting. I explored a lot of 12-step programs and stuck to it for at least six months, depending on the program. Wow. I, you know, when I hear the story of, I didn't really buy into the fact that I was an addict. And then to get out of treatment and go right into the addiction recovery community, um, it sounds confusing to me. I think I spoke in a confusing way. I, I came to understand I wasn't an addict. That wasn't immediate. Oh, okay. So, so at the time I was, I was going to, to doing all this 12-step work, I was, I was confused. I okay. was learning. I was trying to see is will this work for me i wanted it to work for me right i studied the big book i know yeah yeah studied that thing um so i was exploring at this point i hadn't hadn't come to to the later realization that i wasn't an addict and these programs weren't right for me right you know i was there when you gave your first step and your first step and i believe i reached out to you and i told you that your first step was really impactful to me. And in fact, you were one of the first people I made friends with in my recovery. And I truly believe that because you reached out to me and offered support that my recovery changed. And I was brand new, right? You helped me sort through my thoughts and my feelings about being myself as an addict. And I'm forever grateful for that experience. So I'm glad that you were in those rooms, <laughs> right? So I'm glad that you went through this process to get there, even if you were just exploring. And I, I knew that's exactly where I needed to be, right? Absolutely. And, and so I'm wondering what has life been like for you as you got more clarity? Because you said you were in the, in the rooms for maybe about six months and you got clarity and you and you moved away from that how has life changed um so let's talk about let's talk a little bit about when i moved away when i started to realize that 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 12 step work wasn't what i needed um to to for my recovery um i i i, I was always exploring other uh, possible let's say treatments i told you i, I left no rock unturned literally uh, in my efforts to 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 find find my find my health, um, and and so I started to uh, learn about Eastern uh, psychology or Eastern philosophy, ancient Eastern uh, philosophy and psychology. Things like um, the stuff that the Buddha wrote, and things like uh, uh, teachings in ancient Hindu um, religion or philosophy, and. And it was in that exploration that I began to see what would work for me and bring me to, you know, at least toward um, the mental health I needed. Okay. And in that philosophy, do they talk about addiction? They talk nothing about addiction. They talk about a very important aspect, very similar to addiction, 
They talk about unhealthy attachments. Okay. And so you could say, I have an attachment to alcohol or I have an attachment to, let's say, unprotected sex. Um, But we usually use addiction, here in the West anyway, uh, for those ideas. It was very clear, though, it made sense for me to talk about myself as being attached to people. Mm. In other words, having relationships issues that were driven by an unhealthy attachment to my partner or friend or whomever. Okay. And so I know personally that there was a point in your life where you detached from your relationship and got a divorce. Was that part of the the work that you did is to understand your unhealthy attachment to your ex-wife? Oh, that was horrible. Um, that I had to happen. Um, I tell you, what really drove that was my understanding, you know, much understanding, and I must give a lot of credit to what I learned in the 12-step work, um, really the understanding about how important it was to live an authentic life, not to do things because other people think I should, or not to worry if someone's going to get mad if I behave in a certain authentic way. That was the realization, BJ, that drove me. That realization, plus the fact that I had truly spent two years of my life and a whole gob of money trying to save a relationship that I learned needs two people to want to save Mm. for it to have any hope, that I finally said, I, I, I give up. And I refuse to become somebody else, which is what my ex wanted me to become. Okay. And so that's that's what drove um, this, me divorcing her. Okay. All right. Are you currently doing work around the the Eastern philosophies? That's a good question. Um, I so I um, <clears throat> I had a very fortunate situation in my life, DJ, uh, as you know. I don't, I don't work in the way most people work. And a consequence of that is I have a ton of free time. And uh, it's certainly true that essentially all of it is spent uh, uh, progressing uh, on my understanding of Eastern psychology and philosophy and uh, in certainly the, the, the 12-step lingo on my recovery. It's really all I do. So I imagine that you're still learning about yourself. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness! And the, yes, and boy, we could talk about that forever. <laughs> <laughs> Give one. Can you tell us one thing that you've learned about yourself in relation to recovery that you will hold dear? So, I've learned that the most important thing to make me healthy is to do what I am capable, even beyond what I think is capable, in helping other people in my life, even strangers, 
to be less dissatisfied or be less unhappy. In other words, I learned how important it is and how beneficial it is for me to be compassionate and to practice compassion whenever I'm, I'm in, in any social situation or, or personal interaction. That's the, that I would have never imagined five years ago. Wow. Yeah, I'm a completely different person than I was five years ago. DJ, I know we met. Uh, early in in, in 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 sort of in, in my situation, I hadn't even been divorced yet when we met, right? Officially, that is. Um, so, but you've never seen me um, as I lived most of my adult life, very selfish, very hard driving, uh, quite mean spirited. Uh, you know, selfish, really selfish, selfish, selfish. That 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 defined me. Mm. Um, and and today, uh, I would say I'm, I'm much more selfless than selfish. Yeah, huge change. I met you four and a half years ago, and that was not the person I, I met. Mm. Yeah, you were kind and compassionate and caring. Um, That's kind of what happens when you get the teeth knocked out. Of you. It humbles <laughs> you a little bit, right? <laughs> when you start with a big ego, right? Yeah, right. That's, that's exactly what happened. I just got, I just got, you know, shit beat out of me, and and, and it, it brought it brought an essential humility mm. into my into my life to myself. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a life-changing experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's something important for, for you for you listeners to understand is that 12 steps not the only way to go about it, right? I, I appreciate 12 step. I love 12 step. I live 12 step. But it's not the only way, right? And just because there are difficult things happening in one's life, and you may use substances or uh, behaviors to cope, that doesn't automatically make you an addict either, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just need to process what the hell's going on. And it sounds like you created some space in your life where you could figure it out, right? That's right. That's right. And I, I want to say that, you know, that, you know, exploring 12-step, I'm, I'm the biggest fan of that idea. I highly encourage anybody that even thinks maybe a 12-step program might help them to explore it. Right. You know, it's, it, there's so many advantages. It's free. <laughs> That's nice. And, you know, frankly, it's my pretty, pretty strong understanding that, you know, if you go to a medical doctor and say, I'm drinking way too much, doc, help me. He, your doctor's not going to subscribe medication in most cases. The doctor's going to point to AA and say, you know, 12-step is the best thing we've got going. Yeah. So, you know, you know, give it a try. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like you say, other things. Yeah. I'm living proof of that. But, you know, certainly there's value to be had. Sure. Anyway, yeah. Because I know that you did some really powerful, impactful work in your 12-step recovery. And I, I believe that that helped you as you transition to more of the Eastern philosophies and psychologies, because you came into it with more information than you had. Absolutely. I, I learned an enormous amount. Like I said, I, I, I studied that, 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 that big book, uh, big book or blue book? It's a it's big called. blue book. Big blue book, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not only that one, but the SLAA book, and, you know, and, and I learned an incredible amount. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was helpful, profoundly helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, that process. I know. As we well as talking to, 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 to people in the program and, and my sponsor relationships. Sure. Always 
hugely beneficial. We've spent hours on the phone talking about recovery <laughs> and highlighting our blue books or big books uh, and going to meetings together. So I know that you put a lot of effort in that. And, you know, I'm glad that you have found uh, a solution, right, in your, in your work around Eastern philosophies and psychologies. And so to, to, to wrap up, I wonder, what could, you, what could you impart to our listeners? What kind of advice could you give them about working on oneself and exploring whether or not addictions are part of the, their experience? So look, life's short, 100 years max, and life has a ton of cool things to offer. Um, it's important to be your own person, to be your own master through that 100 year or so journey, 100 years of your life. And if we get an addiction, by definition, we are not our own master. We are being controlled by something outside of us, whether it's sex or alcohol or whatever. And, and that, is, that is a huge mistake to live that way. That, that, to be a slave to something is just the wrong way to live. It's got to, I would say, it's, it's got to, it's got to be noticed and got to be dealt with, or, or you live your life as a slave. I mean, I, we can't imagine. That's no way to do it. We only get one shot. Let's not live any slaves. Impactful. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the work that you're, you're doing and that you have done, and I appreciate you being uh, a witness to my recovery and, and my journey. And thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with our listeners today. My pleasure, DJ. And, you know, I guess it's my hope that maybe somebody uh, who listens to this may be also helped by listening. That would be great. I believe that they will be. Take care. All right. Thanks. I could sit and talk to Randall for hours. In fact, sometimes we do. I mean, I think the longest conversation we had one day was like three hours. And mostly it's about recovery. Recovery is such a great conversation piece. There's so many layers. And so I am so glad that you are joining me every week as I talk to a new person about recovery and addiction. Um, Addiction is deadly in my opinion and so we have to continue to have these conversations so we can we can help people heal that's my mission in life and i am grateful that you're joining me each and every week thank you for listening to this episode of making an addict for all my listeners i have a special gift for you i created a seven steps guide to power up your recovery and you can access it today go to bit.ly slash seven steps guide that's bit.ly slash the number seven steps with an s guide go ahead and go there now and get your free guide sign up for the newsletter and it will be sent to you in your email take care thank you for joining the discussion today on making an addict In closing, I want you to understand that there are various opinions about addiction and what makes someone an addict. The opinions expressed here on today's show are those of the person who made them. 
I suggest you take what you heard, process it, and decide for yourselves what you believe in. If you have feedback or want to tell your story on the show, let me know by emailing makinganaddict at gmail.com or you can reach me on social media. Again, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at DJBurr1022 and TheDJBurr on Instagram. Lastly, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service. Recovery saved my life and I will be forever grateful. I will keep giving back every opportunity I am given. Tune in next time to witness our ongoing discussion on Making an Addict. Making an Addict is produced by the Recovery Legacy Network, bringing you recovery on all fronts. Learn more at recoverylegacynetwork.com. Today's show featured music by CDK and Jay Lang. Go to makinganaddict.com to learn more about our music.